ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Series XM Channel 80, and on ESPN+. Plus. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. I'm Amber Wilson. He's Teron Davenport. You can tweet to us right at AmberW790, at TDavenport underscore NFL, or you could join the conversation on the call-in line, one 888 say espn That is 888-729-3776. So we spent some of the show, of course, on Aaron Rodgers. We filled our Aaron Rodgers quota Tehran so let's move on to our Russell Wilson quota not really a quota so much because I feel like this one hasn't been getting nearly the same level of uh, coverage and obviously one of the reasons for it is listen Aaron Rodgers is coming off of his MVP season back-to-back MVP campaigns and things have been a mess out there in Seattle But Russell Wilson, of course, still one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, an incredibly high-profile quarterback, and one that we have been hearing for years has been somewhat disgruntled in Seattle. Now those rumors get out there, and then they kind of make nice, and then they quiet down, and it never really blows up into the story that it has with Aaron Rodgers, but those rumblings have been out there for quite some time. And now, Teron, Russell Wilson wants to make sure he enters the conversation because he removed the Seattle Seahawks from his Twitter profile. And we saw Kyler Murray delete everything on his Instagram and it set the world ablaze. And so this is just the move. And maybe Wilson saw the coverage Murray got from doing that. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to take a page out of this playbook. I'm going to remove the Seahawks from my Twitter profile. I'm sending out the sub messaging there that, hey, the door's still open. The market's still open for me. Maybe teams should make some phone calls are you surprised to see this move from russell wilson i'm a bit surprised just given some of the comments he had coming out of the pro bowl about still wanting to play in seattle and loving it there and wanting to be a seahawk for life i guess it was just a little bit of politic in there on his uh, his his part and he seems like he would be a pretty good politician you know saying the right things at the right time but it's interesting that he did it this way as far as scrubbing his social media. And there's definitely a point to be taken from that. The timing of it is is interesting as well because you have the league year, you know, set to start soon. And obviously that turns to free agency and to trades and all of that stuff. So it could also be a reminder just like, hey, look, you guys don't do right by me. I have no problem getting a divorce, you know. So I think that's kind of how it looks. Um, from from my perspective, and it's just funny to me just the, the impact of social media, how, how much people put into the, the profiles and those type of things. I mean, uh, an athlete can't put any lyrics to a song or anything like that on their social media because it's going to be tied right to the, the football, to their career, but uh, that's the day that we live in, and I, I think that this was a strategic, purposeful thing that Russell Wilson did. What I always marvel at is that people notice. I mean, you yeah. like even if it was my job, if you were paying me to sit there and notice when Russell Wilson removes the Seahawks from his Twitter profile, I don't know if I'd be very good at noticing. So I always marvel at people who notice these things, these low-key messages, but that's exactly what people do. And so people have taken note here. I do think Russell Wilson, like you said, he said all the right things at the Pro Bowl. It feels like he was just saying all the right things, and that's what Russell Wilson does. He did also say that he wasn't going to demand a trade 
trade away from Seattle. He does have a no trade clause. He said he wasn't essentially going to force his way out or demand things, but maybe this is his low key way of kind of demanding it without actually demanding it. You know, we just remove it. We, we just kind of let people know maybe business is open and if business is open, there are a few destinations Tron that get repeatedly mentioned with Russell Wilson. I'm going to get to those in a second where I want to start with you actually that I think is interesting is on this list. I never see the Tennessee Titans and we discussed the Titans when we talked about Aaron Rodgers. You cover the Titans for ESPN and NFL Nation. So why is Tennessee not in the conversation ever for Russell Wilson, but they're in the conversation for Aaron Rodgers? It's funny you mention that because, you know, we have local hosts here who kind of has uh, pushed for Russell Wilson. First it was Aaron Rodgers and then Russell Wilson. So locally it is something uh, here in Nashville that that they're kind of clamoring for. But you're right. There really isn't too much national attention being paid towards that. And that's, in my opinion, because of how the Titans have gone about making it so clear that Ryan Tannehill is their guy. John Robinson, the GM, has said multiple times that uh, Tannehill is the guy. And they keep putting back to the 2019 and 2020 seasons that that he had is just kind of like the the you know he turned back into a pumpkin this year you you know Mm -hmm. and he's not managing the game the way you would have thought he would after those well everybody was injured that's why in fairness to Tannehill everybody was injured in fairness to Tannehill he was missing and I'm not a I'm not a huge Tannehill defender I spent so many years covering the Miami Dolphins just on local radio in Miami asking is Tannehill good I mean we we really didn't know for so many years but I think what I've learned watching him with Tennessee is he's good when there are great pieces around him and if everyone's injured like they were for the Titans this season it becomes a little bit more difficult for Tannehill but I think maybe I wonder if the conversation nationally doesn't steer towards Russell Russell Wilson, because I wonder if people aren't convinced that Russell Wilson is such a significant upgrade where they are very convinced of that for Aaron Rodgers, just because of how the last couple of years have gone for Wilson. Well, here's the thing also with that. I mean, yeah, people, there were plenty of players injured, but when you're a $38 million quarterback, you got to elevate the play of those around you. And that's something that we talked about with Aaron Rodgers. That's something that I believe Russell Wilson is capable of doing. You look at the way he and Tyler Lockett play together, and I'm not saying Tyler Lockett is a subpar player because I think he's a very good receiver, but that is elevated because of the way that Russell Wilson is able to extend plays. He's able to get out of the pocket and, and scramble with his eyes down the field and push the ball down the field for big gains to Tyler Lockett. So I think there is a bit of a difference there. I full, fully believe that Russell Wilson will be an upgrade over Ryan Tannehill, and I I think that's definitely the case. But you're right. There's not as much of a jump from Tannehill to Wilson as there is from Tannehill to Rodgers. So it's just another one of those things where the impact, if you get Rodgers, is bigger. And obviously, as we talked about, the land being purchased in Franklin, that kind of, which is right outside of Nashville, that kind of created that whole stir and that that tie to uh, to the Titans. Yeah. Well, so some of the other potential landing destinations for Russell Wilson are very similar to potential landing destinations for Aaron Rodgers, the Denver Broncos. Now, given Aaron Rodgers has been dominating the Broncos conversation, but potentially there could be some interest there in terms of Russell Wilson as well. Uh, The Pittsburgh Steelers, that's another one that we hear both of those names being floated. I mean, I think that the Steelers is an interesting destination in terms of the fact that that obviously you're talking about a very good, stable organization with great pieces, and I don't know what they're doing at quarterback. 
<laughs> I don't think they do either. <laughs> they don't seem to have a plan in place <laughs> post Big really Ben. Like, they seem to really like Malik Willis, you know, so that's probably, you know, a direction that they'll go. But, uh, yeah, I will see how that one works. But you are right. The Steelers are a good destination for Russell Wilson. And you look at the money that they have. They have $29 million. So there's definitely an easy way to make that. Well, and that's part of this conversation because we're talking about how Aaron Rodgers wants $50 million a year. I mean, Russell Wilson is going to be much cheaper, right, than Aaron yeah. than obtaining Aaron Rodgers. So that's also part of this. And it's in part why you see some other teams enter this conversation that wouldn't necessarily otherwise enter this conversation and some other destinations like Washington. That's been rumored with Russell Wilson where I haven't necessarily seen those rumors so loud with Aaron Rodgers. The New York Giants, that's one that has been really loud with Russell Wilson. I think that there's this idea out there and maybe rightfully so that you're talking about the number one market in the country and he's married to a very very famous singer in Sierra and maybe she'd want to stay in that type of market and they would continue to expand their brands there yeah absolutely I, I think that's something to look at and yeah, you have to factor in I mean what do they say when, when you're married what do they say happy wife happy life so you definitely have to put that into the mix and I, I, I'll give you another team though and if you talk about instantly being able to provide the compensation necessary the Eagles now mm-hmm. I will say this I like the direction that they seem to be going as far as looking at building around Jalen Hurts and giving him another year to, to show that he's capable of being a quarterback but they have three first round picks right They're, they are definitely in a position to where you you could do two first-round picks this year and one next year and throw in Gardner Minshew, and now you have a bridge quarterback and they can figure out what they want to do as far as Seattle's concerned for, for other uh, long Well, and maybe they'd want Jalen Hurts back. I mean, they also have like a maybe piece there that Hurts. might be I attractive mean, in return. You, you could do that too. You, you know, So there, there are definitely options that, that you could do in order to, to make that trade work. Well, that the Russell Wilson watch also remains to be seen. We'll see if he will update you on Monday whether he uh, changes anything on his Instagram, and we'll 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 keep very serious tabs on the movement on social media with all of the quarterbacks in the NFL, with expectations of Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant returning soon, and possibly a full time Kyrie. What is Brooklyn's ceiling in the East? That's next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Brooklyn Nets are sitting at 8th in the East, but are they about to jump up the standings? This is ESPN Radio Afternoons. I'm Amber Wilson. He's Teron Davenport. You can tweet to us at AmberW790 at TDavenport underscore NFL. The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night as Giannis and the Bucks host Kyrie and the Nets. Presented by Indeed, coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. So a big one coming up for the Brooklyn Nets. And we have some clarification now on when we might actually start seeing this Brooklyn Nets team look like the Brooklyn Nets team that we're anticipating seeing here while vying to see it, particularly since Ben Simmons was traded away by the Philadelphia 76ers to the Brooklyn Nets in exchange for James Harden. We get James Harden's debut tonight alongside Joel Embiid. We are still waiting for Simmons to make his debut with the Brooklyn Nets. And KD has also been out of the lineup, Teron. He's been out of the lineup since January 15th. I mean, at one point, the Nets suffered something like an 11th game losing streak leading up to the All-Star break. So it's been brutal for the Nets. And of course, Kyrie has only been a part-time player for them. Now that might be changing because the laws are changing in New York. That vaccine mandate that 
allowed him to be absent for home games is apparently going to get some relief here. So we may see Kyrie become a full-time player for the Brooklyn Nets here in the second half of the season. And we also anticipate that Ben Simmons is going to get his debut pretty soon. And apparently KD is making progress. His head coach, Steve Nash, he spoke Thursday about the possibility of KD returning. I suppose it's not out of the question. But um, we'd have to assess, you know, how he comes through today, um, tomorrow, and, and see where he's at Saturday. So it's probably less likely that he would play. Um, but I think in the next three games, there's a good chance he's, he's out there. So that was Steve Nash referencing their game against the Bucks tomorrow night. It sounds like, if I'm taken away from that clip, Teron, it sounds like Katie's not going to be back for tomorrow night against the Bucks. But, hey, you're talking about within three games, things are looking up in Brooklyn. Yeah, things are looking up in Brooklyn, and I, I think when you, you, you look at these guys being able to come back, you know, especially Kyrie, the the situation with the vaccine mandate, I mean, they need to get him out there. And uh, Durant, we know, um, you know, when, when he's healthy, he's he's a killer, you know. So when you could get all these guys together, uh, the, the real importance there, and I think the urgency for Brooklyn is even greater than it is for the Sixers because the Sixers are already there in the mix, right? But – the, the Nets, they're somewhat there in the mix, but, you know, the Sixers are among the top teams in the East. So there's there's a little bit more time, a little bit more of a cushion for them, whereas the time is now for the Nets. And, and getting these guys back is going to help just establish that chemistry and those type of things because we, we know, even though these are all really good players, it's going to take time for them to kind of gel and mesh the way that they need to. Well, that's my concern is the time, because even though you're right, the 76ers gave themselves a lot more wiggle room and specifically Joel Embiid did. And even though that throughout parts of the season, Katie has tried to or Kyrie has tried to when he's been on the road, they've been so limited this season. And obviously that situation with James Harden didn't go well. And then him refusing or sorry, his hamstring was acting up before he was traded. So things have not gone well for the Brooklyn Nets here. Now it's time for things to change if they actually want to make a run because otherwise they could easily find themselves on the outside looking in. But when you're talking about Ben Simmons, you're talking about integrating a player who hasn't played all season. It's not like James Harden. When we had the conversation about the 76ers and you and I were talking about, hey, is there concerns there with James Harden gelling with Joel Embiid and he's making his debut tonight how long is it going to take for him to get comfortable but James Harden has been you know playing when he feels like it throughout the regular season whereas Ben (laughs) Simmons hasn't been playing at all so I don't know what Ben Simmons is going to look like and then on top of not knowing what he's going to look like and how long it's going to take him to get his legs back under him then he also has to figure out how to play with those other guys and he hasn't done that yet either so I know that there's, you know, dozens of games left quite literally, but it still doesn't feel like a very long period of time for them to figure it out. It really doesn't. And it's very ironic that that March 10th is kind of uh, right there on the horizon. And that's a a date where Simmons could potentially be coming back because then he'll be going back to Philly. And they're already kind of hedging their their bet as far as uh, him being able to play in that game and, it's almost like they're protecting them, and I, I just say this, you know, if you're protecting the guy <laughs> for a regular season game, God forbid for Brooklyn's sake, they end up matching up with the Sixers because it's going to get ugly right there in, in, in Philly. So I, I, I just I, I think really there's a lot that, that has, to, has to do with Ben Simmons being able to, to get right and, and be able to get with this team because you do have that, that psychological aspect 
uh, the mental health aspect. Fortunately for him, a big weight is lifted off of him because now if he doesn't shoot, it's not a bad thing, right? Because you have two guys in Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant that can single-handedly take over a game if need be. So all he has to do is just facilitate that and distribute it and play defense. So this situation is more conducive for his success as a basketball player but also as a person because of the pressure that has been relieved from him. Yeah, some of the narrative around Ben Simmons is absolutely where the expectations were set. And it's where the expectations are set when you're a number one draft pick and when you're the mm-hmm. best player in an entire country. And when you come into the league in the way that Ben Simmons did it, when you win rookie of the year, even though <clears throat> you weren't actually a rookie. But nevertheless, like when, that's where the expectations got set early on. And that has had something to do with this narrative that ends up surrounding him because he is one of the best defenders in the league even if he never gets that shot. And so you're right. Maybe things will alleviate there up in Brooklyn and we'll at least get to see the greatness of him in terms of his defensive abilities. Right now at ESPN Radio, there is an edition of the ESPN Radio weekend preview poll. We are asking you as the second half of the NBA season tips off, who is the team to beat in the East? That's next. But first, a word from eBay. When a part of your offense isn't firing on all cylinders, it shows. It showed in Brooklyn. Maybe it's a dropped ball. Maybe you just can't work your way down the field. When this happens, the only solution is to replace that part with something better. It's the same with your car. But unlike in sports, a new batch of car parts can't be drafted every year. That's why eBay Motors exists. They have all the right parts at the right prices. In fact, eBay Motors has 122 million parts. That's a lot. That way, you can get the parts you need to make your car a winner. ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Teron Davenport on ESPN Radio Afternoons. The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in Sunday as the Suns host the Jazz. Presented by Indeed, coverage begins at 3 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. But tonight... The Timberwolves will host the 76ers, and that is the game that people around the country will be tuning in for because we'll finally get to see James Harden's in a 76ers uniform. And to discuss that, we bring in Michael Lee, Washington Post Sports Enterprise reporter. And Michael, let's start there. So we finally get to see Embiid and Harden play together. I don't know if you have any concerns about them playing together, but if I made you choose one, Michael, what would it be? Um, how willing Harden is to defer to someone else. Um, and I, I say that just if, if he's at full strength and he's playing at a high level, will he be able to accept that he's not the best player on the, on this team? And I think the honeymoon period is going to be great. I think that he's going to come in. He's going to give Joel the ball. He's going to let him shine. He's going to take a step back. Um, you know, but as it gets closer to like playoff time, I wonder how much he's going to be willing to do that. And I wonder how he's going to, you know, enhance Joel's game instead of take away from it. So I, I think that the first couple of weeks, they're going to look great together. Um, but I'm interested to see how that progresses in the postseason because, you know, I know, you know, James is there to win a championship. That's what he wants to do. But um, he's had opportunities before with a lot of talented players and there's a lot of Hall of Fame caliber, top 75, you know, caliber players that he's been on the side, on, you know, the same side with. And they all left and feeling bitter about each other. So I just I, I want to see how this one works out and how this one's going to be different because there's enough evidence to say that you should have some concern about how it's going to end. Michael, how do you see 
the acquisition of James Harden making the rest of the roster just kind of fall into place, whereas, you know, guys like Tobias Harris, uh, like, like Maxi, how do you see that rebirthing some of their roles? Well, I, I just think he just puts everybody, you know, in their in a rifle role, and he also just gives them an extra offensive weapon that they didn't have. Um, you know, Tobias didn't have to worry about being somebody they had to depend on. He's somebody that, you know, before, you know, he was he when Ben was there, he became a necessity. They had to have him. Now he's more of a luxury. You know, if he doesn't get twenty points, everybody's not going to be too upset because they know the weight's going to be on Joel and, and James now. Um, I think now Tobias can play a little looser, a little freer. He doesn't have to have that weight that he may have carried in the past. Um, You know, a guy like uh, Maxi, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be just – he just lowers his head and goes. And I think as long as they let him just continue to do what he's doing, it's going to be fine. I think having a point guard, having a distributor, having somebody who knows how to make the right decision, it's only going to enhance the other players. Um, And like I said, I'm just interested in seeing – if if he's willing to like, does he realize that he's playing with the MVP? You know, does he realize that Joel Embiid is like one of the top three players right now in the league? You know, um, is he is he gonna let him shine? That's 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 the guy who has to get off for them to really go far. Joel's the one that's gonna take him where they want to go. And he certainly has been doing that thus far. Michael Lee, Washington Post Sports Enterprise reporter, joining Amber Wilson and Teron Davenport here on ESPN Radio Afternoon. So let's talk about the team on the other side of that trade in the Brooklyn Nets. Now, Steve Nash said that KD can be expected. I don't know if he's going to make it back before that Bucks game tomorrow night, but he expects him back here in the next few games. It looks like Kyrie is going to become a full-time player here soon. And presumably at some point, we're going to get Ben Simmons. So what should the expectations be here for the Nets who are sitting at eighth in the East? Yeah, I mean they got to get to they got to get up to six. You know that that's got to be the goal. You know, avoid the playing game at all costs. And um, and I think that you know there's a lot of hope. You know that Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, is going to come through and you know um, allow Kyrie to start playing home games. But I don't think they should sit back and really just bank on that happening at a you know right away. Um, that's going to be a process that takes you know a while. Um, so I think that for now they just got to hope that everybody's healthy and, and ready to compete. And they got to hope that Ben Simmons is there, you know, in a because he hasn't played in a long time. And, you know, it doesn't matter who you are and how great an athlete you are, you know, there's nothing that compares to actually playing. And he hasn't played, you know, since last June or July. And I think that's something that you got to really be concerned with um, because, you know, on paper it looks great because he fills so many holes for them as a playmaker, as a facilitator, as a, you know, designated defender, you know, somebody who guard, you know, any position from one to five. Um, he he really enhances the team. I, th- I think that adding him, but also getting st- uh, Seth Curry and also getting Andre Drummond, you know, guys that I thought that that trade really was about Brooklyn addressing its its needs and its and its deficiencies. And if, if Ben is able to play at the level that we think he can play, then I think that Brooklyn can win that trade because they won't ask for him to be the second option. They already have Kyrie and Katie who can handle that scoring burden. And also, if they need to get shots off, Seth Curry's right there, and he's one of the best shooters in the game. So Ben doesn't have to do anything but just be Ben. And I think that that's really going to be so freeing for him because he plays such burden-filled basketball where you could tell that he's got the pressure of fans wanting him to shoot. They want him to score. They want him to do all these things. And all he wants to do is just run the floor, play defense, take take advantage of his opportunities. You know, one of the things I think that, you know, gets missed you know, when you talk about Ben Simmons, is that he's really a perfectionist, and he really wants to make sure he makes the right play. And 
that doesn't necessarily mean he has confidence that what he's going to do with the ball is the best thing in terms of shooting. He has confidence that his teammate, a teammate, shot for his teammate is better than the shot that he takes. And a lot of people think that that's like a big flaw in him. And it is, in some ways it is, because sometimes you need Ben to just be a little more carefree. And I think that's probably been what's blocking him a lot. But he does make sure that his teammates get a chance to get the right shot. And I think in that environment, if he, if his mind right, it can really work out well for Brooklyn. So we just spent a good portion of this talking about two teams, you know, in, in, in the Sixers and the Nets. But you know, what about the Bucks? Because it, it seems like they're just a team that, despite being a defending champion, they're just, just kind of floating under the radar. What are your thoughts on the Bucks and their opportunity to repeat? They are doing what champions do. They're just kind of going through the regular season and know that they got to turn it up when the playoffs come. I think you saw, you know, in previous years, they used to really just turn it up all the way, turn the volume all the way to 10, try to get it to 11 in the regular season. And they wind up with these great regular season records. They wind up with the number one seed. And then by the time it got to the postseason, they just didn't have enough and they were burned out. And people were like, well, what's wrong with Giannis? His game isn't complete. He isn't this and that. And then last year, they turned it down a little bit. They had expectations after they got Drew Holiday, but they turned it down a little bit and did just enough to get into the playoffs in a, at a real nice position. And then once they got there, then they turned it up. <laughs> and then they got to the uh, finals and they were able to you know, win a championship. And I think that when you got a guy like Giannis and, and he can figure that out, that he knows that whenever he decides to just say, I'm the best player on this court, there's not many people that can step, step in the way and deny him. Um, and I think that his team has that confidence in him, that they know that whenever Giannis decides – that he's just going to take over this, that's going to happen, and you're at his mercy. So I just think that they're, they're doing exactly what they should do. I don't think they need to be the top seed. I don't think they need to worry about that because they've already proven that they can win. You know, they already won the championship. They don't need home court advantage. They didn't have it, you know, against Brooklyn. They didn't have it against Phoenix, and they wound up as champions. So they know who they are, and I think that's really what you're seeing from them. They're just a team that knows who they are. They don't have to worry about trying to prove anything anymore because they've already proven they had the best regular season record. What they want to do now is prove they can win when it matters. Yeah, most defending champs don't get to fly under the radar, but thanks to the 76ers and Nets this season, maybe that'll end up being yeah. a very good thing for the Milwaukee Bucks. Michael Lee, Washington Post Sports Enterprise reporter. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. So we transition back to the NFL. There's still more quarterback carousel talk to be had here in the offseason. Should the 49ers bring Jimmy Garoppolo back next season? That's next. This is ESPN Radio Afternoons. ESPN Radio. Is the Jimmy G era in San Francisco really over? Maybe the answer isn't as easy as we once thought. This is ESPN Radio Afternoons, presented by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at AmberW790, at TDavenport underscore NFL. So we have all assumed for quite some time now that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to find himself in a different uniform next season. That seemed like it was going to be the case unless the 49ers actually won the Super Bowl this season. Otherwise, it felt like, all right, they've got to move on at some point to the Trey Lance era. The Jimmy G situation, Teron, is not an easy one because he's got such a big cap hit, which, of course, you and I continuously talk about when we talk about these quarterbacks, but it matters so much. Also, a different conversation when we're talking about an Aaron Rodgers or even a Russell Wilson. Now we're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. So now we're like kind of going down the tiers here of quarterbacks. <laughs> Jimmy G, obviously, is still a very serviceable quarterback, very commendable performance here in the postseason for the 49ers, and he was suffering through yet another injury. But that's part of this conversation with Jimmy G. 
not a top-tier quarterback I don't think most of us would consider, even if he's a very serviceable quarterback, and one who is not necessarily the most durable quarterback in the world. And we even saw that make an appearance again at the end of the regular season. Now, I have no idea if Trey Lance is better than Jimmy Garoppolo, but I do know when you make that kind of pick and when a quarterback like Jimmy G costs what he does and when you're the 49ers and you're in a win-now type of situation, at some point you have to make some difficult decisions. Adam Schefter, obviously ESPN's NFL insider, he needs no introduction. He was on the Ari Myrov show, and he said that it's possible the 49ers aren't actually trading away Jimmy G. He's developing the right way. They, they, they are happy with him. But I go back to my initial statement is that he didn't play college football at all two years ago. He's coming from a small school to begin with. And there is a steep learning curve. For a quarterback like that who's blessed with a lot of talent, who they still are very high on. It's not a reflection of whether they think he's going to make it. Look, we said this last year, and people said, no, come on, they're not keeping Garoppolo. They're trading him. Well, he played. And and, and by the way, maybe they do trade him. I'm not telling you you're wrong. It still is absolutely on the table that he could be moved, and I think he believes he's going to be I'm just giving you the other side that I don't think it's a lock that he's going to be traded. He very well might, but it's not a lock. So Shefty doesn't think it's a lock. Teron, I've been saying for a while, you know, why is it necessary? Now, I understand, like, I'm not a capologist, and that comes into play here. And what could you do if you free up some of that space? And I don't know where they are in terms of their cap hit right now. You'll have that information better than me in front of you. But I have been saying just from, like, a football perspective, unless you're so convinced that the future is already here, the 49ers didn't do so bad this season yet again with Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, you have that vet presence in the locker room. And what's so wrong maybe with giving Lance even more time to develop? Yeah, and I think really what you have to look at, and and it's crazy how things just have a tendency to recycle and circle around because if you go back to 2011, the, the 49ers, they had Alex Smith as a starter, a guy that was someone you could win with, probably not win at all with, but you're like, hey, man, I want to take it to the next level. And that's when Kaepernick started to get worked into the the lineup, and then Smith had the concussion, and next thing you know, Kaepernick was the, the starter, and hey, lo and behold, they went to the Super Bowl the following year. I, I, I think you have to look at that um, – and it's a lot similar to Garoppolo and, and Trey Lance. And that Trey Lance gives you the ability. They like to boot their quarterback and get him on the move. And, and he gives you the ability to be able to do that and really make plays down the field. So I, I think there's a different dynamic. But when you look at the, the cap itself, the, the hit that Garoppolo has, I mean, if you were to release him, you, you save $25.5 million. Now, they're right around $3 million over the cap right now. Their roster is in pretty good shape. So you don't have to go out and make a big free agent signing. Could they use another cornerback? Sure, you could do that, but you could also get cornerbacks in the draft. So I say all that to say they definitely, from a financial perspective, are in a good place to be able to bring Garoppolo back and, and let those guys compete. And you know what? If if uh, Trey Lance is able to beat Garoppolo out – you have you have a, a very capable backup if things don't work out, and then you, you move on the following year. I think that's really the, the way that they look at it. Um, there aren't going to be many teams lined up to acquire Jimmy Garoppolo, and, and, and even if they do, what are you going to get for him? It, you know, it's not like you're going to get a first-round pick. It's not like you're going to get probably um, – you'll probably get a, a, a day three pick. 
You know, so right. it's not like the compensation to be great. I think it's a good situation to have him there and help because uh, there's also value. And this is what happened with Deshaun Kaiser when he was in Cleveland. He's coming off the field, and there's nobody really there for him to, to discuss what he saw. And that really limited his development. So you have Jimmy Garoppolo, who is clearly a, a team type of guy, and he comes off, uh, Lance comes off the field, and now that's somebody, hey, did you see that robber, how he was buzzing down? You want to make sure that when he does this, you do that. You know, and that's something that Garoppolo could offer him. There's a lot of value in having a veteran there that has been there and done that to help you when you come off the field. The thing is with the situation with Jimmy Garoppolo, because you're analyzing essentially like, is Trey Lance going to be an upgrade? And like the problem with that answer is it's going to be no, right? Like even though Jimmy Garoppolo isn't a quarterback that I think expect there to be a huge market for, like you said, I mean, you're talking about, you know, maybe a third rounder, maybe there's a market that's even worse for that than Jimmy Garoppolo. And the problem isn't that he can't be, you know, a solid game managing kind of quarterback. The problem is that he's not durable on top of his obvious limitations on Mm -hmm. the field. So although, like, on a San Francisco 49ers team, he can get you within a game of a Super Bowl, even to a Super Bowl, he's not going to win a Super Bowl for you. But I don't even know if Trey Lance can get you, you know, within a game of a Super Bowl. Like, I have no idea what we're going to get out of Trey Lance because the only times I've seen him, he's looked incredibly green with the 49ers. And so they have a lot more information than I do in what they actually have. But they made that decision when they drafted Trey Lance. And you're not deciding between, you know, an Aaron Rodgers and a Trey Lance. It's a Jimmy Garoppolo and a Trey Lance. And you're right. Jimmy Garoppolo with the price tag with them over the cap hit, like you're saying, they don't necessarily have the market though to get rid of him. But is there a scenario then where you just straight up cut him and you kind of save face because you can, if you cut Jimmy Garoppolo, which maybe sounds absurd, but if you cut Jimmy Garoppolo rather than take like a fifth rounder in return for him, if you cut him, you can be like, Oh, you know, we did right by Jimmy. We're allowing him Mm -hmm. to go wherever he wants. That's how you sell it. But the timing is important in that, right? Because this isn't the cut that you do in June. You got to do that, you know, within the, the next three to, to four weeks so that he could go and find a new place if you're going to sell it as that. So that's important as well. It remains to be seen. It's an interesting situation out there in San Francisco. I think we all thought that it was a lot more cut and dry than maybe it is. So maybe we see a world where Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance are still on the same roster next season. Uh, That will present a lot more questions about the 49ers. And I don't even know if 49ers fans want that because they probably want to finally get some answers there about the Trey Lance era. And if you always have Jimmy Garoppolo sitting in front of him, it's hard for Trey Lance to ever get that much needed experience that he so desperately needs needs as the second half of the NBA season tips off who is the team to beat in the east and how legit are the heat and bulls this is ESPN radio